Hello, Northwest. Good morning, and I hope you're doing fantastic. Um, I want to say thanks to the Kulaks and also our worship team for just helping us get ready to worship. And really am grateful for them uh, for the time to help us sort of set the stage and get our hearts uh, ready to uh, uh, look at the Word. Um, I also take a look at where I am. I've changed it up a little bit, and there's one thing that we, we just we got to fix. It's, it's not quite right. So just hold on one second. There we go, right there. Let's move this over a little bit right there. That right there is for Fred Burden, the McDuffies, and the campers, uh, to name just a few. So, yes, you're welcome, and hope you enjoy that. Uh, listen to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, uh, 13 through 18, and I hope you got your Bibles. I'm really excited about jumping back into the book of James uh, so we can just sort of finish where we, where we left off. We're in James chapter 3, 13 through 18. I think it's important for us really to set the stage and, and, and really understand what we're going into is to really do a, just a real quick recap. And so uh, we, we know that the book of James was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. Yes, he was the half-brother of Jesus. But growing up with Jesus, he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection and then the, uh, when he came back and appeared to the disciples. And so um, he believed, and he believed a little bit later. Um, but the fact of the matter is that he did believe, and he wrote this book. And this book was written to Christians, and he was writing to Christians because he had a great concern for them. His main concern was is that they were saying one thing and doing something completely different. Yes, we've never done that before, right? None of us have ever been hypocritical in our life. But, but James was was really concerned that there were a bunch of believers that were saying that they believed in in Christ and saying that they were following him but they were not and he used words such as phrases that are real popular and if you've been in church for a long time you've heard it that you know faith without works is dead and and don't just be a hearer of the word but be a doer also and so James really was a proponent of a statement that said hey faith alone saves you but your faith is not alone if it truly is real. It is demonstrated by good deeds. And so what we want to do in the church is we want to spur each other on to love and good deeds. That's really what it says in the book of Hebrews. That we want to spur each other on to love and good deeds. And what James is trying to really, really hammer home right now is, Hey, listen, if you're not a believer, then I want you to become one. I want you to live out your faith demonstrate what you believe. And so that's really what he was trying to get us to do. What is our goal at Northwest? What are we trying to do through the book of James study? Really, we've summarized it with this statement. We're looking at progress, not perfection. We're not asking you or not asking me or not asking anyone to be perfect. What we're asking is that we want to serve and we do serve perfect God who made himself known through Jesus Christ the greatest of sacrifices, the greatest gift that we could ever been given is that is Jesus, who we know is not in the tomb. We celebrated that last week, and we still really celebrate that every week. And so he's been given to us, and now we want to live that out. And so what we want to do is that when we serve him, when we follow him, we want that to be demonstrated in each and every day of your life and every day of my life. I want to make steps. I want to take steps closer to Jesus. I want to demonstrate my faith. I want to walk 
in obedience to him. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for us. That's what I want for all of us is that we would walk in obedience to Christ and that we again would take steps and demonstrate our faith and make progress. And so really um, what James tries to do or what James does often in the book is he uses rhetorical questions. He asks questions he knows the answer to. You, you've done that as a parent. You're asking questions uh, that you know the answer to. You have done that over the last several weeks, and so have I. We know the answer. We're just asking to make sure they know the answer, and they know that that was wrong, right? Um, who left the empty carton in the refrigerator? Who did not take out the trash after they were told? Yes, we have all of those things. There's several of them. And so what, what, what James is trying to do, and he uses this as a strategy, is he asks these rhetorical questions. One of the rhetorical questions he asks is, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have works? Can that save him? Again, James is not looking for an answer. He's just trying to make sure that they can see the silliness or the absurdity to say, I have faith, but you can't see it in my life. He wants them to see that, and he wants to address that with them. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look in James chapter, thir- James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. So James 3, 13 through 18. Let me go ahead and read the whole uh, section here, and then we'll talk about um, worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. Look at verse 13, and here's what it says. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and evil every vile practice. Verse 17, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The text is really broken up into two really clear-cut themes. The first first part we have is we have worldly wisdom, and then he compares that with godly wisdom. So we have worldly wisdom and then godly wisdom. And here's what I really want you to do. A a little bit of an exercise for me that is going to have you pause this uh, video in just a minute. But here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to answer the questions that I'm getting ready to give you about wisdom by looking up some verses with those that you're watching with, okay? The the questions that I have are this. Where does wisdom begin, and what does it mean to fear the Lord? Now, somebody in the room that you're with, you're going to look up Proverbs 1-7, and you're going to look up Proverbs 8-10. Proverbs 1-7 And Proverbs 8.10, you'll answer these two questions. Where does wisdom begin and what does it mean to fear the Lord? And then you're going to look up James 1.5 and you're going to answer these two questions. How do we get wisdom and what do you learn about God from this verse? What do you learn about God from this verse? Here's here's what I want you to do. I want you to pause. I want you to look up those, those verses. I want you to talk about it among yourselves. And then I want you to go ahead and jump back in, okay? So take time and go do that right now. I hope that was helpful for you. I hope you were able to sit there 
and take a look at uh, the answer to those questions. Where does wisdom begin? What does it mean to fear the Lord? How do we get wisdom? And what do you learn about God? You know, wisdom is taking all of the information that we have and it's taking our experiences and putting them together so that we can make the best decision possible. As believers, we want to take, yes, our experiences and we want to take our information and we want to put it together and we want to submit that to God and we want to ask God, God, will you lead us? God, will you, will you show us what to do? That, that's really the starting point to wisdom, according to our verses, is very clear. It's a fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and what does that mean, though? Well, like you talked about among your, among your group, it's not being scared of him like you are of, of the dark or the basement or, or even a snake or a spider. That's not what we're talking about. A fear of the Lord is a reverence, a holy reverence for all that he is and all that he can do. It's a respect for who he is. That's what, 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 the, what the scripture is teaching. That's what God wants us to know. That's really what James wants us to know. You see, there is a deep reverence. When we have a fear of the Lord, there is a deep reverence for God and his word. And when we have a deep reverence for God and his word, the Lord is going to give us wisdom to know what to do with the information that we have and the experiences that we have to put those together in order to live for him and demonstrate that we love him and that we want to please him. And then there are certain situations where we sit there and go, God, I, I don't have the wisdom that I need for this situation. And in James chapter 1, verse 5, he says, just ask me. That's what I want you to do. I want you to come to me. I'm not just going to just, just give it to you randomly. I want you to come to me and I want you to ask me for it. And it says that he gives so, what? Generously. Because that's who he is. We've seen that in how he offers forgiveness and he offers grace and he offers salvation and he gave us Jesus. We know that the God of the universe that we serve is generous. He is a giver and not a taker. And so what he wants to do is he wants to give us wisdom and he wants to do that generously. Well, let's jump in to verse 13 of chapter 3 and then we're going to go right into um, worldly wisdom and then we'll take a look at uh, godly wisdom. So here's what it says in verse 13. Here's what it says. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. I believe the reason that he's asking this question is that James sees that there's a bunch of believers out there that are not living in a godly fashion with decisions that they're making. And he asks this rhetorical question, just like he's done in the past about faith and works. He's seeing that you have access to the God of the universe and you have access to the Holy Spirit that can direct your paths and show you where to go. But what I believe you're doing is you're not asking and not seeking him. And I think he asks that question to address this. That's in verse 13. Let's take a look at worldly wisdom and what we can look at. I broke it down into three sections and let's go ahead and answer the first one. Where does, where does worldly wisdom come from? It, worldly wisdom comes simply, it comes from the devil. Worldly wisdom comes from, look at verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. That's God. That's in heaven. But is earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. This is earthly wisdom and it does not come from God. It comes from the devil. That's who is the author of that. You can take a look at what this type of wisdom is. 
It's limited in every aspect. And the reason that this type of wisdom is limited is it does not factor in eternity. It has a limited perspective. This type of wisdom, worldly wisdom, wisdom that is from the devil, wisdom that is of the world, earthly wisdom, fleshly wisdom, whatever you want to call it, this wisdom is limited because it is only in the here and now. It is not factoring in eternity, which is what we've been created for. And each and every day, we want to make decisions in light of being in glory with God. Worldly wisdom, what does it say? It comes from Satan. It comes from the devil. And really, it has a limited perspective because it does not see things in, 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 in eternity. It looks at the here and now. In this type of wisdom, second thing is, is that this wisdom is motivated by selfish ambition. I'll say it again. This wisdom is motivated by selfish ambition. This type of wisdom, worldly wisdom, is plain and simple that we are at the center. It is looking at how everything affects us. How does it benefit us? How it affects us? How it um, boasts about us? How it promotes us? That's this type of wisdom. It is motivated by selfish ambition. Plain and simple, we are at the center in worldly wisdom. We are at the center. It is promoting us, asserting us, advancing us, and that's really what it's trying to do. Well, well, what is the result? What is the, the text goes in and tells us very clearly, what is the result of this type of wisdom? If you have worldly wisdom, then, then what kind of uh, result is this? The result says, there will be disorder and evil. So that's the thing. What is the result? The result is disorder and evil. That's what it says. When we are at the center of the marriage, what's going to happen? Disorder and evil practices, selfish practices. When we are at the center of our church, when it's our church and our way and it's up to us and we are the center, what's going to happen in the church? Same thing, disorder and evil practices. That's not what God wants us to be about because what happens is we rob ourselves of true love, true harmony, true fellowship, true intimacy, everything that God created us to be about and before. We're, we're, we're not experiencing that. Why? Because we're looking at making decisions that will best glorify us. So we use that wisdom and we use this kind of wisdom, worldly wisdom, earthly wisdom, fleshly wisdom, whatever you want to call it. I'm calling it worldly wisdom. We use that wisdom when we put ourselves at the center. And I think James is offering us a challenge. He's offering us a warning. That's not the type of, of wisdom you want. You don't want to be guard, guided by your unsubmissive heart to the things of God. You don't want that. It's a warning to us. Well... Then he comes down, and we have the other kind of wisdom, which I've called godly wisdom. And so that's what the text is teaching us. So look at verse 17. Where does this wisdom come from? Godly wisdom comes from heaven, or it comes from above. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom, but the wisdom from above is pure. The wisdom from above, listen, that's where it come from, comes from. It originates. It is defined. It is created. It is given. It is spiritual. Holy Spirit led, and it is given from him to his children to guide us, to direct us, just like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says. We don't get this kind of wisdom when we just take all of our information and put it together with all of our experiences, and we put all those together and we say, this is what I'm going to do. 
No, this kind of wisdom is so much bigger and so much better than that. Yes, it's taking our experiences. And yes, it's taking information about God. But what it's doing is it's taking it and putting it under the lens of the Holy Spirit and in the power of the Holy Spirit to direct us. This takes place not when we come up with all of our intellect and because of our education and because of our experiences and because of all the things that we've done and then make decisions. No, this type of wisdom is given to us and granted to us simply simply happens when we spend time with God. When we spend time with Him. I would write down, if you're writing down, I would write down that word, that phrase, with God. That's where godly wisdom comes from. When we spend time with God. That's where it comes from. That's where it begins. And, and it's motivated. This type of, of um, wisdom is motivated by God-centered humility. It's motivated by God-centered humility. What was earthly, but what was worldly wisdom motivated by? It was motivated by selfish ambition. That, that's what it was motivated by. But, but this type of wisdom is motivated by God-centered humility. Listen, what this, look at the description. It says, it is pure, it is peaceable, it is gentle, it is open to reason, it is full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And all of these things happen when we do what? When we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. See, when, when we're at the center of our lives, we are trying to promote ourselves, to boast on ourselves, to brag on ourselves, to assert ourselves. But when God is at the center, there is a posture of humility that comes over us. Because instead of asserting ourselves and promoting ourselves, what we've done is what the scripture teaches, and that's deny yourself. And that's where godly wisdom comes from, is when we deny ourselves. That's, that's, that's where it comes from. The God of the universe is saying, I want to give this to you. What I want you to do is I just want you to deny yourself and I want you to, to receive what I'm offering you. Yes, you've got experiences and yes, you have education. But listen, none of that, none of that compares to sitting in my presence, listening to me, hearing from me, and letting me direct every step you take. Because I want to. I want to do that. And that's what, what, what godly wisdom is. What is the result of, of godly wisdom? The result of godly wisdom is good work and peace. The result of godly wisdom is good work and peace. Godly wisdom produces that which is right before the God, before God that is pleasing and that is honoring to Him. If you look at uh, verse one, go, or excuse me, verse thirteen. Go back to verse thirteen really quick. It says this: By His good conduct, let Him show His works in the meekness of wisdom. So we can take a look that when we a result of having godly wisdom in our life, it's summarized by good deeds, good work, and in peace. And that's what it has. Let, let me tell you something that is really wise for us to do when we gather together. Okay, here's a little here's a little situation that I think we should all agree upon right now. When we meet each other the next time, I think it would be very wise for each of us to just look each other and tell each other, 
you know what? I've missed you. All right? Your hair looks fantastic. I love the haircut, bro. Hey, I love what you've done with your hair. And the next thing we say is, you know what? Have you lost weight? You look great. <laughs> Don't, can you say amen to that? I mean, seriously. We, we, that's, that, that is exercising godly wisdom in the middle of a pandemic right now. Here's, here's, here's what he wants us to really just see. I'm going to summarize it really in two things. Worldly wisdom declares, I am at the center. Worldly wisdom declares, I am at the center. It's all about me. Godly wisdom is a declaration that God is at the center. I bring my experiences and my knowledge and I submit it to Him. And I spend time with Him in His Word so that I know what He wants me to do and be about. That's godly wisdom and it's available to us all. I, I, I want to give you three things that we just keep in mind. I want to give you three that I have here for us. Really quick. Um, number one, I want you to remember this. Crisis intensifies our need for wisdom. <laughs> Crisis intensifies our need for wisdom. Okay, it's COVID-19. It's the death of someone. It's the loss of a job. It's a troubled marriage. It's a fight with the kids. It's whatever it is. What a crisis does is it intensifies our need for wisdom. And here's what I want. I want number two to happen. I want number two to be a declaration of your soul. Number two, number two is this. God is the only source for true wisdom. So I want you to recognize that in life, your crisis, there's going to happen. It, it's, it's going to happen. It is happening right now. And what that does is it intensifies our need for wisdom. And I also want you to be reminded that God is our only source of true wisdom. God is our only source of true wisdom. And then finally, Northwest, here's what I want. Here's what I want more than anything in the world right now is I want godly wisdom to lead directly to godly action in your life. I want godly wisdom that is available to you to directly lead you to godly action. That's what I believe godly wisdom would do and can do in our lives. Godly wisdom leads us to godly action. That's really what James was, was concerned about. He's really concerned that what happens is you are do, saying this and you're doing this. As it compares to wisdom, let us, let us spend time with God so that we might know the heart of God. We might know the character of God. And we might be directed in godly wisdom so that we might demonstrate godly actions. They're inseparable. Northwest, I love you. I can't wait for us to get back together.